Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate directly to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I have this podcast, and I have Canadian History X, which tomorrow, Saturday, November 13th, will release its 500th episode. That's right, I've done 500 episodes of that show, and I really enjoy making that podcast, and it's a lot of work, so every dollar you give helps keep it all going. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdho37. If you want, you can buy an ad in this podcast. My rates are very affordable, and I reach thousands of people every week. Or, if you want, just send me an email to say hi. I like hearing from everybody, and if you really enjoy the show, please consider giving a rating and review. Over the past 40 years, there have been many important politicians on the federal level for Canada. Some have served as prime ministers, others as leaders of a party. Arguably, one of the most influential would be Preston Manning, and while he never served as Prime Minister, the party he would create would reshape Canadian politics forever, and its effects are being felt to this very day. The son of Muriel and Ernest Manning, Ernest Preston Manning was born on June 10, 1942 in Edmonton. His father was one of the most important premiers in Canadian history, having led Alberta as a leader of the Social Credit Party from 1943 to 1968, followed by time in the Canadian Senate from 1970 to 1983. Preston's grandparents had actually come from England earlier in the century. Over the first 12 years of his life, Manning lived in Edmonton where his father obviously worked as premier. Manning would save his early life and famous father, quote, The family itself did not play that great a role in politics in those days, but at a very early age I began looking at things from a governing point of view because my father was the leader of the government, end quote. In 1954, the family moved to a 900-acre dairy farm east of Edmonton, and Manning would attend Horse Hill High School. During his high school years, Manning would write short columns about the school for the Edmonton Journal, and in 1957 he took home a Governor General's bronze medal for high marks in grade 9. He would also be declared a grand champion at a 4-H competition for a short horned calf named Touchdown. Unfortunately, once Touchdown was fat enough, he was sent to the Meat Packers. Manning would say years later, quote, it was a traumatic experience, end quote. Living on the farm, Manning would get his first job hauling manure at the farm. He stated, quote, My first job was driving a honey wagon at a nickel a load. Seventy Holstein cows produce a lot of that stuff, end quote. Originally drawn to physics, Manning would end up graduating with a degree in economics in 1964 from the University of Alberta. As a young man, Manning was seen as someone who would follow in his father's footsteps. And inspired by his father, Manning attempted to get elected to the House of Commons in 1965 at the young age of 23 as a member of the Social Credit Party. On September 30, 1965, the Red Deer Advocate would write, quote, It is pointed out that by running federally, Mr. Preston Manning cannot be accused of wanting to use his father's position to help him progress up the political ladder. End quote. Despite his name recognition and his father still serving as the Premier of Alberta, Manning was unable to defeat his progressive conservative opponent, finishing second with 6,000 less votes. In 1966, Manning would take a job as a researcher at the think tank National Public Affairs Research Foundation. 
While there, he would work on several projects, including a proposal for the realigning of Alberta provincial politics through a merger between the Social Credit Party and the Progressive Conservative Party that was quickly rising in popularity. Both party leaders rejected the proposal. Manning would also work on the white paper on human resources development for the social credit government in Alberta. This white paper would lead to the creation of the Department of Youth, the Human Resources Council, and the Alberta Service Corps. Manning would state, quote, My father always tested any decision from a government's point of view. Would it stand up, not for a week or two, but as a government policy for the long term? That made a big impression on me, end quote. One year later, in 1967, he would marry Sandra Beavis, a musician and nursing student from the University of Alberta, and together the couple would have five children together. In 1968, just after their marriage, the couple would travel to Asia on a fact-finding mission to determine if the involvement of the United States in the region was justified. Manning would come away with a reaffirmed commitment to conservatism. He would state, quote, I want to check out whether the theory that if Vietnam went communist, all the region would go communist meant anything. Over there, people certainly believed in the domino theory. End quote. Following his father's retirement as premier in 1968, Manning would join forces with his father to create Manning Consultants, a new management consulting firm in Alberta. The firm would have some of the largest energy companies in Alberta as clients. Manning would not forget about his political hopes at the time either, and he would go through the Social Conservative Society and the Movement for National Political Change. And while neither organization made many waves, they would help lay the foundations for policies that would be incorporated into the future Reform Party. Manning's choice to start movements rather than to join one came down to watching his father's party go down in flames after his father left as premier. He would state, quote, Even then, I did not want to be involved in the liberal and conservative parties. I decided I would rather wait to get in on the beginning of the next movement instead of being on the tail end of the last one. End quote. Throughout Manning's life, the Bible and his faith was extremely important to him, and he would often appear on the Back to Bible Hour, a Western Canadian radio show launched by Premier William Aberhart and continued by Manning's father during his time as Premier. Manning would say, quote, I've always been interested in relating religion to business, science, politics, and conflict resolution. End quote. Throughout his life, Manning was also a teetotaler and had an allergy to cigarette smoke, which required those who worked for him to find somewhere else to light up. A lover of fishing, he would spend days on the Red Deer River with his sons, and he also had a deep fascination with the events that led to the American Civil War. One aide would say of Manning's fishing, quote, He is so painfully honest, I bet he measures every fish he catches in case they are undersized. End quote. Those who would work for him through the years would find him to be a level-headed individual, Brian Hay, who worked with Manning in the 1970s, stated, quote, He is very open, very down-to-earth. I have never seen him lose his cool. What you see is what you get. End quote. By the mid-1980s, the political landscape of Canada was changing. Brian Mulroney was serving as the Prime Minister of Canada through an alliance of the various conservative groups across the country under the Progressive Conservative Party. In the West, there was a growing disconnect, though, with the party, and the talk of Western separatism was on the rise as well. Seeing that the political climate was changing, Manning would meet in Calgary on October 16, 1986 with four others, including two oil sector lawyers, the president of Canada West Foundation, and a prominent progressive conservative. The group decided that they would hold a conference in the spring of 1987 to develop a Western political agenda. At the subsequent conference, the Western political agenda was adopted, which included electing the Canadian Senate, entrenching economic rights, 
pushing for more free trade and allowing free votes in the House of Commons. Manning would also present his idea for a new party, which 77% of attendees voted in favour of, with a founding convention to be held in the fall. These are Western Canadians who feel ignored by the rest of the country. Unlike the political movements from the 70s and early 80s, these people are not talking Western separatism. But even though they sing the national anthem, there is still a deep resentment towards Ontario and Quebec. Western Canada should have an equal chance with the rest of Canada, especially Quebec and Ontario. There needs to be some redress in the balance of power. And I think uh, with a new party like this that uh, we could form the balance of power and and, uh, what's good for uh, the West will be good for Canada. Those opposed. It's no coincidence these people are meeting in Winnipeg this weekend. It was just one year ago that the controversial billion-dollar CF-18 maintenance contract was given to a Quebec company, even though Bristol Aerospace of Winnipeg was the lowest bidder. That decision angered many Westerners, among them Preston Manning, whose father, Ernest Manning, was Premier of Alberta in the 40s and 50s. People want a major constitutional change to... uh, and strengthen regional representation in the parliament. In that conference held from October 30th to November 1st, 1987, attendees voted to create a new federal party in the West while adopting a draft constitution and choosing the name of the Reform Party of Canada. At the conference, Stephen Harper, future Prime Minister of Canada and an early member of the Reform Party, would give an address on regional fairness and national decision-making. Manning was elected as the first leader of the party, and he would serve as the only leader the party would ever have. Here in Canada, a group of disenchanted Westerners has voted in favor of creating a new federal political party. The Reform Association of Canada has been meeting in Vancouver over the weekend to discuss ways of increasing Western Canada's influence in Ottawa. Today, delegates decided the way to do that is with a new party, a party that gives the West and its problems top priority. Whit Fraser reports. The ballots handed to delegates this morning gave them a choice. They could vote to work within the present system and give the federal government one more chance to recognize that the West is demanding equal power with Quebec and Ontario. Or they could go all the way and form a new political party. It was a step that caused some to hesitate. We need to look at this. We need to give the existing system a chance to respond to it. And at that time, With the greatest amount of credibility, we can then make a decision. We support forming a new party, and that we do it now, today, right now is the day to make the decision. They moved forward, about 80% voted for a new party. Its name and ideology will come later, but they are determined to run 80 candidates in Western Canada in the next federal election. There's a tremendous frustration in the West, and it has to be focused somewhere. And uh, people just are not going to support the three major political parties. These people are conservatives, and there is questions whether they are capable of developing a policy that will appeal to all Westerners. That's always the challenge, but what's the alternative? The other alternative is to build something that's very narrowly based, and the West has also tried that, and that's uh, frail. It naturally wants to win seats. But some hope just the fact that it has been established and has a growing following will be enough to put pressure on the federal government to bring about the kind of change they want. Whit Fraser, CBC News, Vancouver. For people in the West who were disillusioned with the Mulroney government, there was a great appeal to the pillars of this new party. In the 1988 federal election, the first for Manning and the Reform Party, 
he ran in the Yellowhead riding against former Prime Minister Joe Clark. Manning would finish second in the election with Joe Clark taking 6,000 more votes. The Reform Party would run in 72 ridings, losing in every single one. During his race against Clark, Manning found some time for some fun. Knowing that Clark was coming to Jasper by train, several Reform staffers came up with the idea of meeting the train as a posse on horses. They would speak to Manning about it, assuming he would not be in favor of it. Virgil Anderson would state, quote, We put it to Preston, thinking he would not be in it. In fact, he led the 20-strong posse on his horse with a poster saying, Wanted, Joe Clark, alias Joe Who, for failing to represent the constituency. End quote. Unfortunately, due to a train problem, Clark never arrived in Jasper, but by all accounts, Manning still had a good time. On March 13, 1989, Deborah Gray would win a by-election in Alberta, becoming the first member of the Reform Party to be in the House of Commons. The Reform Party convention in Saskatoon has hammered out some new policies, policies aimed at making the party more appealing outside Western Canada. All this set the stage for tomorrow's vote on whether to expand into Ontario and into the Atlantic provinces. Our national affairs correspondent, Wendy Mesley, reports. It began as a Western protest party attacking mainstream parties. Now the Reform Party is cultivating a more mainstream image for itself. began with a plea to the grassroots to listen to their leaders' warnings about becoming just another fringe party. We are not here to fight Preston Manning. We are here to help Preston Manning. We're here to fight Brian Mulroney and John Cretchen and Audrey McLaughlin. Preston Manning says the only way to win is to avoid extremism. We just want to warn them that they think the Reform Party is a home for that. They're mistaken. They got the message. All the new policy resolutions Manning wanted were adopted. Some were traditional Reform Party fare, such as the call to stop spending money on multiculturalism, but it came with an endorsement from a member of the Chinese community in Vancouver. They do not believe the government should pay them to speak their own language. They are paying money to learn to speak English. Several delegates said they didn't want to appear racist, so they passed another resolution saying that while immigration should be limited to those able to take care of themselves, there should be no limitations based on race or creed. I do wish to speak in favor of this motion. There was also a resolution rejecting enforced bilingualism, but it rejected English-only laws too. That passed easily, with not one angry comment about Quebec. We got to cater to many, many uh, voters. And uh, this is what the resolution was attempting to do, for to try and, and cater to, to, the, to the whole spectrum rather than to radicals like myself. But some delegates say it's just a ploy to appear more moderate. No matter what's passed here today, it's nothing wrote in stone. Still, this Ontario member liked what he saw today. I'm a lot encouraged by what is happening there because I feel so much better about the party now. Tomorrow, the party will vote on one of the most important issues in its four-year history, on whether to expand across the country. Preston Manning has made it clear he's all for it, and if today's votes are any indication, the party will endorse his stand on becoming a national party. Wendy Mesley, CBC News, Saskatoon. For the next four years, Manning would raise his profile in Canada, especially through his opposition to the Meech Lake Accord, as well as the successor, the Charlottetown Accord. With the demise of Meech Lake, Manning would state, quote, It's finished and Ottawa will be the last to know, end quote. Manning would state that Quebec needed to stay on precisely the same terms as every other province, or it needed to leave. He would state, quote, The old Canada is dying. We need a new Canada, end quote. 
Manny would also speak out against the policies of multiculturalism and bilingualism. He would state, quote, We do not want to live, nor do we want our children to live, in a house divided against itself, particularly one divided along racial and linguistic lines. We do not want to, nor do we intend to, leave this house ourselves, even though we have spent our constitutional lives on the back porch. End quote. It should be noted that Manning was not anti-French, but he followed the style of John Diefenbaker in advocating a one-Canada policy with Canada as one entity. Manning would state, quote, Quebec is the only province that can crack the Canadian constitution wide open. It is our hope in the West that Quebec does crack it open. We have some fundamental changes to propose as well, and our fist will be quite different from Quebec's, end quote. Christine Whitaker would recall the first time she heard Manning speak in support of the Reform Party. It was in 1990 in a small meeting in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. She would say that she was disgusted with the government of Brian Mulroney and Manning's speech struck an immediate chord with her. This would be the case for many people. She would say, quote, Everything he said made sense to me. He invoked the way we think about these kinds of things. End quote. Many responded well to Manning in the reform's grassroots campaigns. Party members would stay in inexpensive hotels and keep costs down. At one point, Manning was flying from Calgary to Ontario when a passenger in the executive class noticed him in 1990 and stated, quote, I suggested to the cabin crew that the reform leader be upgraded, but he refused. He paid for economy class and he would stay there. End quote. Manning would add to this by stating, quote, All across the country, people are trying to balance their budgets. I know families of Alberta oil field workers whose hourly wages have shrunk from $17 an hour to $11, and they make do. Yet in Ottawa, we have government after government that refuse to pay their way. End quote. Even outside the West, Manning found support. During one Halifax meeting with 30 people in attendance, half of those who attended paid $10 for a party membership, including Eileen Stubbs, the former Dartmouth mayor who stated, quote, I've never been as disgusted with a federal government as I have with this one, end quote. Manning would routinely attack the Mulroney government. He would state, quote, Trudeau's vision was very different from what we wanted, but the West respected him for having a position and sticking to it. With Mr. Mulroney, they don't see any vision at all, end quote. Throughout the late 1980s and early 1990s, Manning traveled the back roads of Canada outside of Quebec, drumming up the cause of the Reform Party, often to small audiences. But as time went on, those audiences would grow in size, especially in the West. As his party continued to grow in popularity, Manning was asked about his chances of becoming Prime Minister. He would say, quote, My expectations are more modest. Maybe a leader of a party with up to three dozen MPs in Parliament. I'll be pleasantly surprised if my expectations are exceeded. End quote. Manning continued to push the reform message throughout Western Canada, and that work would prove to bring success in the 1993 election, one of the most pivotal elections in Canadian history, and one I looked on earlier in this year. Manning would attack the Conservatives heavily in the election, hoping to bring their voters over to his party. At one point on the campaign trail, he would state, quote, if you have a weatherman who predicts sunny skies tomorrow for nine years in a row and all that ever came is rain, hail, sleet, and snow, would you now be considering replacing him? End quote. During the French language debate, Manning, who could not speak French, only gave an opening and closing statement and said nothing else in between. In that election, support for the Progressive Conservatives would collapse throughout Canada. In Alberta, 22 of 26 seats were won by the Reform Party, along with 24 of 30 in British Columbia four in Saskatchewan and one in Manitoba. 
Now running in Calgary Southwest, Manning would be elected to the House of Commons in a massive victory over incumbent Bobby Sparrow. In that election, Manning took 61% of the vote in the riding and nearly 30,000 more votes than Sparrow. Overall, the reform saw its seat count rise from 1 to 52, finishing only two back from the Bloc Quebecois for official opposition status. Manning would state on election night, quote, Tonight, the political landscape of Canada has been significantly altered. A different political era has begun in our country. The task of representing real grassroots democracy will be taken up in the next parliament by reform members. End quote. During his first term in the House of Commons, Manning would pressure the government over Senate reform. On April 20, 1998, Manning would give one of the longest speeches in the House of Commons in the 20th century when he argued about the defects in the Senate and the behaviours of its members. Well, the party that likes to bill itself as a political outsider is on the inside now. With 52 MPs, the Reform Party has a powerful presence in Parliament. Tonight, our panel will look at how the party has changed Canadian politics. But first, here's Sasha Petrasek with some background on politics the reform way. First thing, every morning, the fax machine starts to whir. Questions about welfare payments, visible minorities, and government spending. And they're all eagerly scooped up here. This is the Reform Party's parliamentary headquarters. And this is where those ideas from disgruntled Canadians often end up. Mr. Speaker, my question is for the Prime Minister, and it was inspired by a Mr. Frank Pillock from Toronto. Reform MPs make a point of doing things differently, raising questions that are sometimes taboo about immigration or the Governor-General, for instance. If the Governor-General was using a Challenger jet to shuttle himself between Ottawa and Arizona... Instead of focusing on issues, they often push for changes to the way we're governed, say, introducing a code of ethics for MPs we're asking for more referendums, often to the annoyance of the government. We cannot go to the electorate and have a referendum every time that a member cannot make up his mind. <laughs> so if it's too hot in the kitchen, Truman said, get out of the kitchen. Reform says it's determined to engage in polite debate. Even sending in lists of upcoming questions for the Prime Minister to review with his advisors. It's maybe that forcefulness and that, that conviction with which... But Sandra Manning thinks her husband is too mild-mannered sometimes. I guess I'd like to see him just a little more aggressive. <laughs> yeah, well, she's the feistier one in the family. But, uh, yeah, I think there's occasions. I, I can't manufacture, like, false uh, emotions. The party has tried to adopt a new style, and I think it's been successful at getting a new style. But it's uh, not been successful at being really strategic with that style. And in bringing up those questions, I say, at the right time, with the right intensity, and with the right degree of pursuit and coordination. Reform insists that whatever the short-term costs, it will keep on playing the role of political outsider. And it believes that so far, there has been no cost. Polls show that despite its lack of experience or spark, the party has retained its election support. But the challenge will be to build on that. And reformers say if Manning is to be a prime minister-in-waiting, they'll have to start communicating an alternate plan for the country. Sasha Petrasek, CBC News, Ottawa. Leading up to the 1997 election, there was concentrated effort to change the style and appearance of Manning. He was much more comfortable in speaking, his French was improving, 
and he would have laser eye surgery so he did not have to wear glasses anymore. His hair was also combed differently to transform its appearance, and he would also work with a voice coach. Some would speculate that Manning had also picked up the habit of smiling every few minutes. Gary Poole, a Simon Fraser University psychologist, would say at the time, quote, He does it very deliberately in mid-sentence. Somewhere along the line, someone has told him to smile every few minutes. End quote. Manning would attack Craig Champ for his age during the campaign, stating, quote, During the first week, he's virtually disappeared. He went for a walk in the woods and took a rest. This is not exactly the vigorous kind of energy that's required to take a country into the 21st century. End quote. Manning would also have issues when protesters during a Guelph speech were yelling racist, sexist, and anti-gay. Unable to talk over the protesters, Manning would leave before a speech was finished. Manning's mother, Muriel, would even get involved, attacking Chan after the Prime Minister cited her deceased husband, Ernest, who he said wouldn't support Preston's campaign. She would say, quote, Is Mr. Kretchen so desperate to defend his position that he has to drum up support from the grave? End quote. In the 1997 election, Manning and the Reform Party increased their seat total to 60, which put them into the official opposition and made Manning the new leader of the official opposition. Manning, despite campaigning across Canada and only spending one day in his home riding, still took the riding by 18,000 votes. On election night, Manning would state, quote, Some will see this new parliament as a house divided. I believe this is a period in which old ideas and old forces are dying. It is a period in which new ideas and new forces are born. End quote. The bloc will no longer be Canada's official opposition. That goes to reform. As expected, reform did well in Western Canada, coming close to a sweep in Alberta and maintaining strength in British Columbia. With the election of this parliament, I believe Canada has entered into a season of transition, a period in which old ideas and old forces are dying, but it is a period in which new ideas and new forces are being born. Good evening. Preston Manning's address is becoming something of a test for the Reform Party. The question is, should he or should he not move into the official residence of the leader of the opposition? In the past, Manning said the place was too expensive, too fancy for him. Now he's considering moving in. Here's Sasha Petrosik on Reform's Dilemma. Where should the leader of the opposition live while in Ottawa? Here at Stornoway, in a $2 million mansion that comes with the job, a mansion that's been sitting empty since Jean Chrétien moved out four years ago, or somewhere like this, in the $72 a night hotel Preston Manning calls home. Yesterday, Manning suggested he would consider moving into Stornoway if the public wants him to. Today, he refused to discuss the issue at all as he headed into a meeting of his new caucus. I think that the, uh, the, the story right now is, uh, is a distraction. Still, it's become something of a test of reform sincerity. After all, it's Manning who spent years denouncing perks, but even poking fun at the house he promised wouldn't become his home. We would suggest maybe we'd get a hold of it and use it as a bingo hall and apply the proceeds to the national debt. Now, though, many reformers aren't so sure. There are reformers who think you should move there, reformers who don't think you should move there. There are regular Canadians who don't. I don't have a problem with them living there. Neither does the former head of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, now a reform MP. Most Canadians I know think that uh, leaders in government should uh, have access to that kind of thing. Others are worried about the message it sends. I have difficulties when I think of our of uh, our leader and his wife moving into a mansion like that when one out of every 
five children are living in poverty. Some boaters in Manning's hometown are having difficulty picturing it, too. Well, it makes him look like a bit of a hypocrite. In the end, he's going to be like any other politician, despite his, his protests to the contrary. But others think it's about time a Westerner moved into Stornoway. I think it'll just sort of make him a little bit more uh, obvious to the rest of uh, Canadians, you know, especially in the East. A view shared by this reformer, who also happens to be a political science professor. He should move in and take the entire reform caucus with him. With 34 rooms, the shadow cabinet could each have a single room, and then the backbenchers could double bunk. The whole controversy has Manning's political opponents watching with glee. I mean, it's become a joke, this whole idea that his caucus is pressuring them. I mean, it's, it's all very uh, blatant and transparent and orchestrated and an example of his hypocrisy. Whatever Manning's MPs have to say, they'll likely tell him tomorrow when the Reform Caucus turns its attention to the leader's living arrangements. Manning may even announce a decision on this one issue that seems to be overshadowing all others. Tonight, he'll sleep on it back at the hotel. Sasha Petrosek, CBC News, Ottawa. At the time, all of the members of Parliament for the Reform Party were in Western Canada. In an effort to combat this and give the party a strong chance of forming a government in the next election, Manning would initiate the United Alternative Movement, which proposed a merger of the Reform Party and the Progressive Conservative Party, much as had been once proposed in the 1960s. Joe Clark, after a hiatus away from Parliament, was back in as leader of the party, and he was against the idea of a merger. For some, their anger towards the Progressive Conservative Party they had once supported now made them go against this possible merger with the shattered party. As a result, the process of uniting would be unpopular with some of the party members, including some who began to rebel against Manning's plan. Manning would state that the uniting was needed so the party could make headways into Ontario, which would help improve its chances of winning a federal election. He would state, quote, the way you achieve what we want to achieve is to get 150-plus members of Parliament. At the end of the day, there are a large number of people who want to see something done, whatever it takes to implement our policies. End quote. Manning would add that many times there had been stories of the Reform Party shattering, but the party always made it through. He would state, quote, Every time there are stories that it's going to blow apart, but each time we've emerged stronger rather than weaker. End quote. A second United Alternative Convention would be held, and Manning would state he did not want to lead reform anymore, only the new party. At the convention, Manning won 74.6% of the vote in the leadership review. Soon after, the party voted to become the Canadian Conservative Reform Alliance, which was a mixture of some progressive conservatives in the Reform Party. That name was soon dropped when it was found that the Canadian Conservative Reform Alliance Party would spell CCRAP, or CRAP and the name, Canadian Alliance, was chosen. On March 10, 2000, Manning resigned as the leader of the opposition in order to run for the leadership of the new party. Deborah Gray replaced him, becoming the first female leader of the official opposition, and I'll be talking about her next week. Manning would state upon his resignation, quote, I give few things in public life more importance than seeking and obtaining a democratic mandate from electors. Accordingly, I wish to be as free as I can possibly be over the next few months to meet with members of the new alliance, to discuss issues with them, to share ideas, and to ask for support. End quote. We, we need to do this. Like, we need to use the leadership contest to actually build the alliance and to have some credible candidates that come from some other background than purely reform to hopefully, hopefully pull in uh, thousands of people that uh, might not otherwise come. And uh, I think the leadership contest is 
absolutely essential. And, and we're doing it different than the Liberals. Like, the, the, there is a contest, as you know, going on there, but it's all behind the scenes. And uh, I think having it out front and uh, uh, is the democratic way to do it. And uh, I'm quite comfortable with these big democratic uh, processes. In the first Canadian Alliance leadership election on July 8, 2000, Stockwell Day defeated Manning to become the leader of the new party with 63.6% of the vote on the second ballot. Manning finished second with 36.6% of the vote. I'll be talking about Stockwell Day in two weeks. Following his defeat, Manning would say, quote, The operation was a success, but the doctor died. End quote. He would add, quote, It is easy to believe in democracy when the vote goes our way, but the real test is our commitment to democracy, our acceptance of the result when the vote goes the other way. End quote. For 10 days following his defeat, Manning rode on horseback through the Rocky Mountains, followed by a visit to Vancouver Island for a vacation. Manning would say, quote, The hardest thing is not the disappointment. It's that when you've been going on nerves and adrenaline for so long and you stop, the doctors say your immune system goes down. There's kind of a withdrawal phenomenon you go through. I just dealt with it as best I could. End quote. Throughout the 2000 federal election campaign, Manning would campaign for the Canadian Alliance candidates, but gone were the groups of reporters who followed him through the 1990s. During one visit to Victoria to campaign for three candidates, he would say of the loss of the limelight, quote, This is a lot like the campaigning we did for years to build the party, trying to convince small groups and individuals to join. I did this for a lot longer than I did the high-level stuff, so I don't miss it, end quote. In the November 27, 2000 election, Manning would be elected in his riding once again, but soon after he announced he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. On March 21, 2001, Manning made the decision, due to his health and turmoil in the party, to resign from federal politics, and he would leave Parliament in January of 2002. He would make a full recovery from prostate cancer as well. He would then found the Manning Centre for Building Democracy, a not-for-profit political think tank and advocacy group that promotes conservative principles. In 2016, Manning resigned from executive functions with the organization, but he was still involved until 2020 when he announced he was retiring from the center to spend more time with his family. Over the course of his life, Manning has received nine honorary degrees and in 2007 was awarded the Order of Canada. In 2012, he was awarded the Alberta Order of Excellence and in 2013, he was appointed to the Queen's Privy Council for Canada. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Preston Manning. Next week, we're looking at Deborah Gray. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider giving a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., 
J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, Wikipedia, Red Deer Advocate, Edmonton Journal, Huffington Post, Vancouver Sun, Calgary Herald, and the National Post. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.